0: The following episode of the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, includes advertising provided by our network GCN. If you'd like to subscribe to an ad-free version of the program, plus the exclusive After the Paracast podcast, please visit www.theparacast.plus. That's P-L-U-S. Once again, that's www.theparacast.plus. The Paracast dot plus You're in the Paracast. The Gold Standard of Paranormal Radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: So, my co-host Tim Swartz and I welcome Ray Shemansky to the Paracast. And he's going to tell us about what may be the goings-on at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, that legendary place that maybe we first heard about back in the early days of the UFO field and Of course, Major Donald Kehoe and people like that. Or the possible connections with Roswell, Hangar 18, who knows? Ray, before we get started deep into this show, tell us something about your background. How does one become a worker at Wright-Patterson?
2: I was at the University of Detroit and I was... um, Studying Electrical and Electronics Engineering, I got a Bachelor's of Science in Electrical and Electronics Engineering, so it's a five-year degree. So they had a cooperative education agreement with the University of Detroit, and Detroit was a mechanical town. It was the automotive industry world headquarters, and they really weren't into computers yet, so double E's, that's Electrical Electronics Engineering folks basically had to leave the city after they got their degree because the automotive industry wasn't really doing much at the time. So wright Peterson Air Force Base had this agreement with the University of Detroit. You know, we had a small class. I think we only had, we probably graduated in 1975. We probably graduated about 20 double E's out of the engineering class. And so they were quite interested in us. And the counselor for the university said, hey, there's this great opportunity to do this work study at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. It's about a three and a half hour drive. It'd be really good for you. And they explained what the program was going to do. So four of us went down and uh, took jobs as students in a work study program at Wright-Patterson. And that was in January of 1973. And that's how I uh, came to be introduced to the Air Force and to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base.
1: Now, with Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, before we get to the legends, what kind of assignments did you have early on? Well, when
2: you're a co-op student, you know, you're just trying not to trip and fall on your own sword. Interestingly enough, it was my very first assignment. What they like to do is pair up a student with somebody who's like mid-level in whatever that field is. And so I got paired up with a a mid-level engineer, uh, though he was a mechanical engineer. You know, he's there to show you the ropes and, you know, kind of tour you around, introduce you to people, get you acclimated and oriented to your environment. So it's like the first week, maybe the second week. And my guy, his name was Al. That's his real first name. said, hey, let's Go to the cafeteria and I'm gonna get you a, a candy bar. So I said, Well it's cool, you know, kind of a welcoming gift. And the building we were in was basically three buildings connected, a two story that would be on the east east end, a two story office building, then about a two hundred and fifty foot airplane hangar, a real live Air Force airplane hangar, and then the other side another two story business office. And so we step out of the one side on the east end, and we're going to walk west through this dark hangar. And as we step into this hangar, he says to me, have you heard about our aliens? I'm a co-op student from the University of Detroit. I have no idea what he's talking about. And so in my very first week at wright Pat, my mentor, the guy assigned to me to show me the ropes, as we step into this empty, dark airplane hangar, says to me, have you heard about her aliens? And that was my introduction to everything Wright-Patterson, aliens, and extraterrestrial.
1: All right, but that is real strange. You're a total stranger, introduced to somebody who will blurt out, have you heard about aliens? Do you think at that point maybe he was just kind of play games with you because wright Pat had the reputation of having some association with UFO investigations? Right at that
2: moment i didn 't know what to make of it, but you know we went, we got the candy bar, we walked back through the hangar, got back to our office, and then I took it upon myself to intercept some of the people that I knew that Al hung out with, you know, like uh, Doug from accounting and that sort of thing, and wanted to find out more about Al and who he was, and you know was he a jokester? But the people that I talked to, um, what they soon revealed to me is that pretty much the entire base population was cognizant about the fact that White patterson had been home to Project Blue Book for 17 years, all the way up until 1969. And I arrived there in 73, so that's only four years later. Well, really three years later, because they closed in January of 1970. So three years later, it's still fresh in everybody's mind. And we had Project Blue Book here. They had heard and read about the connection between wright Pat Roswell, uh, Project Blue Book. So there was this very general, widespread knowledge about uh, Wright-Patterson and its history to ufology. So Al was just basically saying, by the way, you know, let me be the first to tell you that I'm sure you're going to hear this a lot from a lot of other people because it was still the buzz. Uh, he told me and all the folks that I talked to eventually backed it up and said, oh, yeah, a Blue Book was here and, you know, read the newspapers. And so there was a there was a lot of publicity and it just kind of became ingrained in the population.
1: Right. But I'm sure that Based on any normal security regulations, they would limit their conversation to things that were already publicly known, wouldn't they?
2: Well, the office that I was working in would have been the very last people on the base to have worked those projects. And, you know, the materials that were brought there from Roswell, and we know they were brought there because the folks who handled it signed affidavits that said it was brought to Roswell. We know the materials were brought here, and that stuff... Um, was slammed under a lid and only a handful of people, I'm sure, ever really knew about it. So everybody else was getting their feed from the radio, television or, you know, a local newspaper. They certainly wouldn't have the ability to reveal anything because they didn't know anything.
1: But when it comes to Roswell, when we're dealing with the mid 70s, Roswell was not an issue in the UFO field. It wasn't until the late 70s, when Stanton Friedman started talking to people who had some involvement in Roswell, and the book, of course, that was written by William Moore and Charles Berlitz came out with participation from Friedman. Up until then, except for the real early days for the original story, Roswell was not an issue. So how did it come up there?
2: Well, actually, Roswell did not come up. Um, If you read my first book, um, Alien Shades of Grey, formerly called Fifty Shades of Grey, Evidence of Extraterrestrial Visitation to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and Beyond, I actually uh, retell the story of uh, that first encounter with Al walking through the hangar. And Al doesn't mention Roswell. What Al says to me is that um, he was aware that there was a crash out west and the occupants and their machines were brought to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So that is um, the method in which it was told to me. And if you'll permit me, um, as I, I, never, I, I never wanted to write a book, especially about aliens and UFOs. But eventually I had just, doing my own personal research, collected enough information I thought should be passed on so i actually tracked al down and i um wrote to him my recollection of our first discussion and um you know it was on typed paper and said now al if you don't remember this i'm not going to put it in a book but i'm going to give you a chance to think about it and whatever you tell me you recall that's what i will write and so he put a few notations on the piece of paper, you know, it was like maybe three type pages, put it in novel envelope, sent it back to me. And he didn't really change anything except he said, I can neither confirm nor deny aliens at write pad or something to that effect. So, you know, it's a story I try to recall decades later. It's one that he verified me in writing. And again, it really never mentions Roswell. It only mentions, you know, a crashed craft and its occupants.
1: We have Ray Shemansky. We're talking about Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, where he says he worked for a number of years. More to come with Gene and Tim. You're in the Paragast. Hey, listeners. the paracast.plus to learn more about paracast plus
3: Hey,
4: trader, listen up. The markets have changed. Have you changed your trading strategies? Vantage Point can help you conquer volatility. Learn to trade with artificial intelligence. Text the word money to 813-813 and discover how to predict stock market trends one to three days in advance with up to 87.4% proven accuracy. No matter which way the market moves, Vantage Point's patented AI can give you a massive edge. Text money to 813-813 to get what you need to stay ahead of market markets, and find your best entries and exits. Text the word money to 813-813.
5: Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. By texting, you agree to the terms available at vantagepointsoftware.com slash terms and consent to receive calls and texts using automated technology about offers or info by or on behalf of vantage point. Your consent is not a condition to purchase and can be revoked at any time. Message
6: and data rates may apply.
4: Text money to 813-813.
7: Home values are up, and so is your equity. We offer you a way to use it. No need to use your savings. Call New American Funding now and see how much cash out you can get. Call 800 721 2477. 800 721 2477. That's 800 721 2477. NMLS 6606. www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. This is not an offer or commitment to lend. Subject to borrower and property qualifications. Not all borrowers will qualify. Terms and conditions apply. Equal housing opportunity.
2: Who listens to radio at night? EMTs, truck drivers,
8: law enforcement, and many other hard-working people just like you, buying products and services from companies just like yours. Many companies owe their success to radio. It's the engaging medium. Call
2: 877-996- 4327 or email advertise at gcnlive.com. That's advertise at gcnlive.com.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: I'm going to ask you a question here, kind of a devil's advocate question, but do you understand in the UFO field... We've had a whole lot of people who claim to have affiliations that did not exist, like Phil Imbrogno, who wrote some well-regarded UFO books. He claimed to have been a student at MIT. He had an MIT shirt. You'd see it in his photos, but he never went there. So for someone who says, hey, this Raymond Shemansky guy says he worked at wright Pat," How do we know that?
2: Well, I have a retirement certificate that says I worked there for 38 years and nine months. So, um, we've got that going for us. Um, I have a flag that was flown over the Capitol that shows the date I entered and the date I retired. Um, I have a file that's six inches thick of, of all my paperwork so I can prove it. And if your audience wants to prove it to themselves, here is the, the most direct and simple way. I led a um, team for uh, a group in the Pentagon. I, I worked for the Under Secretary of Defense for Research and Engineering. And I was called an agent of the Ada Joint Program Office. And all that meant is that the program office and all the funding and management was in the Pentagon, and I was here in a laboratory where um, we could do cool things to help push forward their agenda. If they use my last name, and the spelling will appear certainly on your website, and they type the word in ADA, A-D-A, it will show reports that were unclassified that I wrote for the Air Force, for the Department of Defense, and they can download these from the uh, Defense Technical Information Center called DTIC, and they'll see a handful of these documents that are uh, readily available to the public that I signed off on, and it will show you who I work for and when I work for all of them. So um, there's actually public documentation out there, easily
1: available. So I take it you have various clearances then?
2: Yes, I had um, job-appropriate clearances,
1: yes. But did your job ever encroach on investigation of ufos uaps or anything like that
2: no unfortunately and if they wanted to hire me back at my retirement grade i'd happily go back to do that job but had some interesting jobs uh two of the biggest one i just mentioned for 10 years i was an agent of the ada joint program office and our job was to ensure that the ada programming language was successful and the ADA programming language was going to use to program our real-time embedded weapon system. so it was very critical to um, our national security. and that's probably one of, I would say the more noteworthy things that I did. Uh, it had to do a lot with computer software. Nothing that I can recall had to do with aliens uh, until I retired. and that's when I just start my own investigation.
1: Okay, so you had never said anything publicly before then.
2: I'm sorry, please repeat that, sir.
1: Okay, so you had never said anything publicly about UFOs until after you were retired?
2: Yeah, and and the way that happened is I retired in September, 30th September 2011. And, you know, I had spent nearly 40 years at Wright-Patterson hearing all the stories. And in your travels, you're at a lot of other bases and locations. And people always ask you, oh, you're from wright Pat," and they want to bring up the subject. So you get a lot of, you know, off-base discussion about it. So finally, when I retired, I said, man, I've got finally something interesting to do. And I had started to do some field research back in about, 2008, uh, visiting uh, very famous sites, uh, talking to current witnesses, uh, finding new witnesses, and just trying to discover for myself if there was anything to all of this. Yeah, you know, I didn't care. Aliens? Fine. No aliens? Fine, too. So that's when I went out and I started to do the research. Had no idea I was ever going to write a book. But then – Things just started to come together. And in 2016, I wrote my first UFO book. And then I guess you would say maybe six to 12 months after that, that started to get out into the wind. And, you know, people had me on their shows and, you know, doing some public appearances. So I probably, you know, didn't really start talking publicly about UFOs till late 16 or early 17.
1: Before then, did you have any knowledge of strange things going on right, Pat? Not the rumors, of course, but in reality.
2: Well, you're going to have to um, narrow that question.
1: You mean regarding uh, aliens? Regarding anything strange in terms of UFOs, the presence, whether alien or not?
2: I, I had no direct involvement in the study of aliens or anything related to that, and I have never claimed that. So I know it's disappointing to folks who would like me to say, yeah, um, you know, I was there and I, I I saw the bodies. But but the folks who ask that kind of question uh, clearly don't have an understanding of the situation.
1: Roswell obviously has been discussed since 1979, 1980 a million and a half times and then some. Of course, we're familiar with books from Tom Carey, Don Schmidt, of course, Kevin D. Randall, who has been on the Paracast a number of times. And we're hearing lots of stories, lots of rumors, some stuff doesn't hold up very well. Like Kevin's book, Roswell in the 21st Century, he tries to put a new look on it. I assume you're familiar, at least in general, with these books and what's been said what did you learn, and we can make, possibly extend this to a long discussion, what things did you learn about Roswell that maybe we didn't know from all these
9: books?
2: Yeah, I don't know. They, they, they do cover quite a bit in those books. And, you know, I, I like to grab a hold of something and I like to, to run it to bedrock. So you know, I like to get the first person witnesses and that sort of thing, and I I disagree uh, to to a small extent to uh, you know. Part of that. I'm happy that that folks like that went out and did the digging and did the research, um, but I disagree with a couple of things in the book because, you know, I think they're kind of uh, stretchy and, you know, they're third person or fourth person, uh, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, my confidence isn't super high in everything. I've also found um, Fabrication uh, in the book by uh, Don Schmidt and Carrie. Uh, in fact, um, I, I called them out on it personally, and um, they have yet to change that in the book. So, you know, I, I actually – they were quoting people in their Wright-Patterson book, and, and I have a – I guess a special affinity for wright Pat because – I'm the only one of the three who actually worked there. And for the most part, I'm pretty sure neither of them even set foot on the base. So when they fabricate things about the Air Force or a person who would just so happen was my boss, I tend to take exception to that type of deception, uh, wherein they have fabricated a story simply to sell a book or to make themselves look more important
1: than they really are. Hey, we're going to have more with Ray and Gene and Tim. In fact, Ray's going to hang with us for a premium show after the Paracast for Paracast Plus members. And what that means is you're in the Paracast.
10: You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
11: Do you experience fatigue when you know you should have energy? One reason fatigue can occur is due to a lack of antioxidants in the body. This deficiency happens the older we get or due to eating an unhealthy diet or even due to exercise. Your body's number one antioxidant is glutathione. When your cells are depleted of glutathione, you will be fatigued, inflamed, possibly depressed, and may also feel pain. Empirical results indicate that consuming green metal whey protein powder is the most effective means of increasing glutathione production. Green metal whey supplies nature's richest source of the precursor to making glutathione within the trillions of cells of your body this protein strongly supports the cells ability to make glutathione add to this the green metal way also supports immunity energy lean muscle development fat loss and has anti-cancer properties and you have nature's most complete and strongest superfood to order go to bestwayprotein.net. that's bestwayprotein.net or call 888-988-3325 that's 888-988-3325
12: USA Radio News. President Biden is crossing the pond ahead of the state funeral for Queen Elizabeth II. People waiting in line to file past the casket were greeted by King Charles and Prince William, who made an unannounced visit. As expected, the Justice Department has filed their appeal against an order, barring it from using documents seized at former President Trump's Florida estate. A Trump-appointed judge denied a similar motion on Thursday. Yeshiva University, an Orthodox Jewish school in New York, abruptly suspended all student club activities after the Supreme Court lifted a hold on an order forcing the school to recognize an LGBTQ student group. Puerto Rico is under a hurricane warning as Fiona heads towards the island. Meanwhile, western Alaska is dealing with remnants of a typhoon expected to bring high winds and flooding to the region. I'm Kenneth Burns, USA Radio News.
14: That's 818-984-6100. ShopSuperTee.com. Hi, this is James Fox. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Okay, having worked at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, having, obviously, clearances related to your job, now you're running full bore into the ufo field the crazy ufo field did anybody from right pad or from the government in general come to you and say raymond what are you doing
2: well i actually didn't go public with my interest until my first book was published in um, early maybe february of 2016 so by that time i was already out of the base for five years in fact Kind of the opposite happened. Rather than than folks, uh, you know, coming out of the woodwork, which really never happened. No, only once, and that was recently after I published my third book, uh, did somebody come out of the woodwork uh, and put their arm around me and try to give me some some you know fatherly advice. But for the most part, the opposite happened. That. Folks that I knew, and, and they go all the way up in the rank of general in the Air Force and civilian general equivalents, those would be called uh, senior executive service, they were excited by my interest and my knowledge and my connections and actually did things that would help me uh, in my investigations give me a connection or tell me a story and, you know, give me a lead. So for the most part, you know, these are people that worked in the labs or they had uh, high leadership positions and, you know, they were in a better, much better position to hear more than I ever did. So maybe without sharing with me, you know, they'd hope maybe I would track down one of their breadcrumbs. So I never really got the blowback. I got a lot of
8: support I think it's uh, interesting going back to uh, your first encounter uh, when you started uh, uh, working there at Wright-Patterson. I think you said it was in 1973 that there were people there on the base and in the town of Dayton who were very familiar with the whole idea of Wright-Patterson. Receiving possible, you know, uh, 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 alien debris or, or, or possibly even bodies. When at that time, most people in the United States had no idea about this. And yet that early on, there were people talking to you about it. Is there a question in there? <laughs> More of a lead uh, to that. So. I I suppose, why do you think that there were people there on the base and in the town of Dayton that were familiar with the concept of the possibility of a crashed UFO out west being brought to Wright-Patterson when the rest of the country was uh, still pretty much in the dark about that?
2: Right. I think um, Marcel... Uh, Jesse Marcel, Sr., was interviewed by Stanton Friedman in 1978, and that's when uh, that all became public. Um, Quite frankly, I don't know. Um, You know, the guy that gave me the original information and said, you know, there was a crash out west and they brought their stuff here may not have been referring to Roswell. So you know that's no, probably possi- not. Yeah, that, that, that's a possibility because again, um, you know, I, I put what he said to me or what I remembered, or we both remembered, in in the first book, and and it's in stone, and uh, nowhere in there is the word Roswell uh, mentioned. So uh, I can't answer that question. I I don't know, um, you know, where that would have come from, but you know, I've got to understand, there's a big mix going on here, and. Here, here is the scenario that that we know now is true um the person who told me this i was first recruited into um what was called the avionics laboratory and uh, at wright Patterson air force base starting in 1917 was the materials directorate or the materials laboratory and they oscillated between nameology a lab or a, a directorate when congress would go well you have too many labs okay we're going to call it all uh, air force research lab and all the former labs are now going to become directorates and it was just a name game but the fact is is that the materials lab was in existence for 30 years before the roswell material ever came here and we know for a fact that the roswell material came here Because the guy who handled it, Jesse Marcel Sr., went on record saying it went to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And then you had the general who was the chief of staff in 1947 when the Roswell material was flowing from Roswell to the 8th Army Air Corps headquarters in Fort Worth. He also signed a legal affidavit that said the material that came from Roswell came here Part of it went to um, a location in Washington D.C., and the rest of the material went to wright Patterson Air Force Base. So, two people, the a provenance, the fact that they handled it and they were in a position to know where it went, both signed legal affidavits saying it went to wright Patterson Air Force Base, and it was in the laboratory. So, you know that little tidbit may have been floating around since 1947. But we know it came to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Could that information have trickled up to guys like Al? Quite possibly. I don't have an answer for you. It's a mystery. It is a mystery to me also. All I know is what Al told me and I wrote about, and he, he validated that story uh, prior to me putting it into a book.
1: Okay. The wreckage is taken of a possible spaceship to Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Where on that base would that material be found?
2: In the materials laboratory. Now, where was that lab? I'm not sure what building. I'm sure the base historian would know. In fact, the materials lab or directorate, as it's known now, could have been in multiple buildings because they have different machines or devices. You know, they might have a, a place they do a smelting and analysis. They may have uh, a place where they do, say, x-ray diffraction analysis. So uh, it may not have been in a singular building, but here's the way I see it. It would have happened, you know. They want to have the material tested. The materials laboratory has been in business for 30 years because it was founded in 1917 uh, at Wright Patterson. The guys who are holding the material are directing all this, say, okay, uh, we're taking it to the materials laboratory. We're going to have a meeting with their boss and the the technical guys, and we're going to ask them some questions. And all we want to know is what can you tell us about it? Does it look familiar? Whatever test you can run on it, and when you guys are developing aviation materials, run those tests. Just tell us what you can tell us, what you know about this. And then we'll be back in you know three months, write us a report, we'll swear you to secrecy, and that's where it'll stay. People also don't understand, if you read the history, most of the material was like three-inch by three-inch squares. And the largest piece that anyone ever speaks about that – we can prove saw it is Jesse Marcel and he said it was like two foot by three foot so most of the material fits in a briefcase you know put it on the wrist with some handcuffs bring it to right pad, have the meeting hand it off come back three or four months later get one or two copies of the report never to be seen again and the guys got the information and they move forward with it and that's where it sits for you know uh, 30 years until Jesse Marcel goes public with it. Unless, unless there's some water cooler talk. And again, my guy was in the lab. He was a mid-level engineer. And my guy eventually became a member of the senior executive service. That is the elite. That is the equivalent of a flag officer. So the guy who gave me the info he wasn't just a one-of-the-mill, mid-level engineer. That's not where he stayed. He eventually percolated up through the system and became the equivalent of a flag officer. So, mull that about for a bit.
1: You know, I just wonder about the whole logic of it, why he'd do it, why he'd single you out or anyone out. If he had that level of positioning, or maybe not when you first met him, why he do that? We got... Raymond and Gene and Tim, you're in. The Pericast.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
1: Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code.
16: Extendivite really works. Here's just a few testimonials from Amazon. RL, five stars, been taking this for two months now. I feel better, have more energy. April, my husband started taking Extendivite and he said he feels much better and has more energy. EW, need to try. Everyone needs this for their health. Great product, great people. Josie, it works great. This product has made my blood pressure and cholesterol stable. I highly recommend it. JC, great product, has worked well these last few years. To get your Extendivite today, go to Extendivite.com. That's x-t-e-n-d-o-v-i-t-e.com, Or call us at 1-877-928-8822. Extend your life with Extend.
5: Are you watching your retirement savings melt away right in front of your eyes as the economy crumbles? Well, if you have an IRA, 401k or similar account, I need to tell you about a better way that was revealed by a Wall Street Journal best-selling book. Simply put, you can opt out of the insanity and convert your existing retirement account into the most stable physical asset in history, physical gold and silver. Plus, this conversion might qualify you for an IRS loophole that could save you even more. Today, Advantage Gold is giving away a completely free audiobook version of the national bestseller, Gold is a Better Way. Just text the word BETTER to 48542 to get your copy. That's B-E-T-T-E-R to 48542. By the time you drive home, this simple step may save the future value of your retirement. It's not too late if you're not prepared. You can take action now and claim a free copy. Text the word BETTER to 48542. That's B-E-T-T-E-R to 48542. Message and data rates may apply. Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor.
14: Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: So that's the thing that's been worrying me about this. Why would the guy reach out to you, a brand new hire, and come up with this? But the most important thing is here is that if he had this position and these various positions going forward, he'd know, wouldn't he, what's going on? The full story, most of it.
2: No, no. Now, that's the problem with the general public. No matter how many times we say the phrase, need to know, they just ignore that and go, yeah, you worked the right Pat. you know everybody. No, there's 25,000 people there. I did not know everybody. And everybody who's in SES uh, doesn't get the keys to the kingdom. You know, most of the U.S. presidents were shut out. The only guy that really knew was George Bush Sr. because he learned his stuff working for the CIA. None of the presidents were read in on this stuff. How do you know that? How do I know that? Because they go public and they tell you that. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to believe them. Yeah, they're politicians, and yeah, I should take it with a grain of salt. But, you know, Clinton, they didn't tell me Carter. They didn't tell me Obama. They didn't tell me, you know, everybody said. They didn't tell me. I asked them. They wouldn't tell me. So the issue is – You need to let it go. How he knew, maybe he took a lucky stab, uh, maybe somebody made something up and it came true, I have no answer for you. I really don't.
1: Okay, one of the things that concerns me, and it's based on the book from Kevin Randall, Roswell in the 21st Century, the report of possible dead or dying alien beings in connection with Roswell. He said the people who reported or made that claim of alien beings... He couldn't get consistent information and suspected that at least those particular reports were not accurate. That he couldn't put his hand on anything that definitely indicated bodies were found. So you're saying, of course, you're accepting that they were. What's your basis for it?
2: No, I'm not accepting that they were. In fact, I'm awfully squishy on the whole aliens and wright Pet thing uh, for a number of reasons. I know for a fact, the world knows for a fact, that whatever was recovered in Roswell, you know, Corona really, 70 miles to the northwest, the Roswell materials were brought to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. We know that because the guys that were in that chain, the Marcells and, and the guy who unfortunately, the general whose name escapes me right now, who was the chief of staff in 1947 at the Eighth Army Air Corps headquarters in Fort Worth, they handled the material. They were managing the transportation of that material. And they signed legal affidavits saying the material went to Wright Patterson. So we have that. And to me, that that's a lock. The alien stuff came out thirty years later. And, you know, it just appeared to me that a lot of people wanted to be part of the story. There is no provenance like we have with the materials for the aliens. And so I've always held out that I'm a little bit skeptical about all of that alien stuff coming to right path. I'm sure about the materials. The bodies, mm, not so sure.
1: Well, the other possibility here is that there were no aliens. It was a robotic craft that crashed.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I will go to my grave saying that metal came to Wright-Patterson, but ask me about aliens, man, that's a different story.
1: Before we get back to Roswell, which obviously has to consume a large part of any main discussion about Wright-Patterson, were there any other crashes you heard about where materials might have been taken there?
2: No, none with the provenance of um, the Roswell materials. That said, you know, if you think about it, If you have to have a place that you need to reverse engineer something that crashed uh, and possibly, you know, maybe it's a a Russian Sputnik, who knows, but anything that you've gathered up that that came from the heavens and you recognize it as not ours and not theirs, Wright-Patterson would have been the number one choice for many, many, many years because they had the expertise in aviation materials. Uh, They understood what was required for for that type of of a job. They had the technical skills. They had secrecy oaths. They had equipment. They had location. They they had labs behind fences. If they didn't have any of that stuff, they had contractual mechanisms that they could obtain it. They just, you know, 30 days, they can write a contract with a professor. Hey, you're the titanium guy. Come on in and look at this stuff. So for the longest time, Wright-Patterson would have been the number one place to bring any of this stuff to try to assess it. So it only seems logical that that for years, you know, from '47 to who knows, whenever we start setting up labs of similar quality around the country, Wright Pat was at.
1: Would that imply the materials would have been moved from Wright Patterson over the years?
2: Well, it doesn't take much to move it. I could have put it in my top pocket and and taken it across the country. You know, we're talking materials two inches by three inches. Yeah, you know, it's possible that um, maybe at some point the materials directorate contracted out testing of materials uh say some kind of brand new uh machine came out i don't know x-ray diffraction or or something super exotic and let's say that uh another laboratory within the government or some private concern uh had one of these things because they're making money using it the government go hey look at i got this little cigarette foil size thing can you put it in your machine and, and give me a elemental analysis of this? I want the whole thing. Give me the whole spectrum. So, yeah, of course it's possible, especially as, you know, these newer, better machines come out that can do a more efficient or a more effective analysis. Most certainly uh, it could have been moved off the base.
8: I know that uh, I worked in – Dayton through much of the uh, early eighties at uh, Channel Seven television, and uh, knew quite a few people there on the base and uh, those who knew my interest in the subject were always asking me what I knew <laughs> about what had happened in the past at wright patterson
2: so, well that 's funny
8: yeah well it, and it's and it 's something like you said before though. I mean, anything that came in probably came in maybe in the, you know, like the, the late 1940s, unless there were some, then the later crashes that may have brought in. So by the time of the seventies and eighties, I think a lot of the people who may have been in the know were long since gone and or everything was, you know, naturally enough is compartmentalized to such an extent that all you're left afterwards is scuttlebutt.
2: I guess. But, but, you know, then again, even the guys that tested it may not have been read in. It's real simple. You know, they, they don't know where this stuff comes from. So guy comes in, he's got a briefcase, got a handful of these things. and said, look at. I'm going to give you five pieces. We think they're from the, you know, the same uh, object. And uh, you're just going to run these tests and they don't know where it came from. They were never told where it came from. So they're not even read in. So there is no in the know. They're just going to run the same test and write a report, and that's it. You know, and, and that is how you keep it a secret.
8: And, of course, you can always have a good cover story that, you know, this is – we think this is probably part of a uh, – a Russian space you know, satellite that uh, crashed in Canada or something like that. You could, but
2: there's no obligation to even give them a cover story. Right. You, com- you come you in and go, your boss told me you're going to do this, you do this, and then you don't talk about it, and that's it. That's all he knows. All he knows is he's got a piece of two-inch by three-inch silver metal. That's all he knows. Now he might try to put it together later. Um, one, maybe when the tests are done and he finds he finds out that you know there's some new element uh, that that the the machine can't identify, or you know it's in such a proportion that uh, we couldn't manufacture it at the time it was being tested. We couldn't make that kind of a of an alloy, for example.
8: I think one of the other things that uh, uh, you've you've mentioned that. Uh is is always rumored about right patterson is the tunnels there and i, uh, I know that uh, when i was there at times people would point out to me like well see that there that's a uh that's an air duct to a tunnel like oh there's tunnels there yes of course and i think uh you were told the same thing well, I've been in the tunnels, so Ooh, okay. There you go. Uh, how, how can
2: anybody be surprised <laughs> that Wright-Patterson Air Force Base has 8,000 acres and 600 buildings and we we wouldn't have a tunnel? I mean, come on.
1: I was going to give a very silly pun to believe that you'd have to have tunnel vision. <laughs> That's hilarious. Give me a break. He's just trying to be nice to the host. Raymond, Jean, and Tim, you're in the paracast.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
1: Hey, listeners. the Plus. To learn more about Paracast Plus,
9: did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your Social Security number or other personal information and tell you that your Social Security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your Social Security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information or instant payment, email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: And now, here's Jane Steinberg. As we continue, the tunnels, and I assume, do the tunnels also have just walkways, or do they have some kind of instrumentation for traveling, like a little motorbike or something, or a cart?
2: My experience has been that most of the tunnels are for utilities and that's readily available if you get on base. A lot of the buildings complexes uh, have basements and there's tunnels underneath them where the hallways connect and you can literally go underneath streets or go building the building. It's just the convenience. Most of those are more of the uppity ups, generals, uh, quarters and stuff. So in the wintertime, they're not walking outside going to another building.
1: You know, but strictly are- walking, they don't have carts or rails or anything?
2: No, no. They, the buildings are all clustered together within you know fifty feet of each other. So there's there's really no no need for that. Let's get into the great legends
1: of Roswell investigation. And number one, of course, is the one that we talk about. Let's say this was a crash spaceship. We've got the wreckage. Would there be anything there that relates to the machinery? of transport. Would they try to reverse engineer something? Would there have been efforts to reverse engineer it? And would it have been successful? And I'm not talking about the Philip Corso, William Burns book, The Day After Roswell, because it's kind of nonsensical. But in the real world, reverse engineering, what have you heard?
2: Well, reverse engineering goes on pretty much in every company in the world, and every military in the world, and and anyone who's trying to understand. Either what their competition is doing and how to do it better. If you have adversaries, what it is they're, they're, uh, you're going to have to contend with. So reverse engineering goes on all over the planet. And I would think that Wright Patterson would be no exception, especially if they had something like, you know, this exotic metal that they found in the desert outside Corona, they would clearly run all the tests on it try to do an an elemental analysis uh, do some other things and then go okay what does this mean to us oh well geez this means that this metal won't melt when it's going 35,000 miles an hour through space it means something else so uh, clearly those type of things would go on at the base
8: currently you have uh, uh, three books out Uh, why don't you uh, let our audience know the uh, titles of your books and uh, where they can find them
2: Well, the books are a trilogy, and they're called the Alien Shades of Greys Trilogy. The first book, it happenedstance. I wasn't going to write a book. I had a lot of interesting things to say. I had some really cool experiences, and I wanted to share it. My objective in, in writing that book was to give an introduction to the topic that's kind of humorous, more laid back, uh, isn't as dark as the topic can be. So uh, it's called Evidence of Extraterrestrial Visitation to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and Beyond. Yeah, I know it sounds like a PhD thesis, but, but it's really not. It's a funny book. It's been endorsed on the cover by four of the top ufologists, you know, uh, Nick Pope, Preston Dennett and others, and and they all agree it's laugh out loud funny, but it's insightful. And the second book is like when Indiana Jones took a dark turn and they did the Temple of Doom. Well, my second book is Victoria's Secret Truth, and it's a story about a family that has had contact with entities uh, that highly resemble insectoids, greys, those type of things. Uh, The book Uh, follows their story since childhood, and has photographs of all the physical evidence uh, that they shared with me. And then the uh, final book, which is uh, my opus, is called Swamp Gas, My Ass. And in 1966, southeastern Michigan was being inundated with flying saucers. In March of 1966, Project Blue Book sent their chief debunker, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, to the Ann Arbor area to try to debunk it all because Representative Ford and Representative Vivian's from the area, were their offices were just being overrun with calls by the Air Force, by police officers, all the other first responders. So Hynek comes in. He spends two days investigating, 25th of March, he holds a massive press conference, and he says, folks, it's marsh gas. Well, in 2020, I tracked down a pilot for the United States Air Force, who was stationed at Selfridge Air Force Base in southeastern Michigan, literally... A stone's throw from where all these flying saucers were going around. And he told me an interesting story. He told me that in March of 1966, he and his wingman intercepted one of those flying saucers that eventually became known as a swamp gas UFO. So I interviewed him for over 30 hours. Um, I got the memoirs of his wingman to the wingman's family because he had passed. I um, used formerly top-secret Umbra NSA documents to uh, document some of the stories he told me. And uh, it is the true story of the swamp gas UFOs. And all of these books are available on Amazon.
1: Let's go back to the first book here because your subtitle is evidence of extraterrestrial visitation to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and beyond. So far, what we're talking about here is recovering metallic fragments of something that crashed at, near Roswell, New Mexico. How do we take the stretch then that this material represents an extraterrestrial craft?
2: Yeah, you know, I guess you could call that literary license. It's only because just about everybody in ufology that's ever studied the case has has connected that material to extraterrestrials. So uh, it's really not a stretch. Um, I guess 95% of the, the, the ufology people have made that connection.
1: But what is Ray's connection? What do you think?
2: how oh, there's there's no doubt in my mind that we have been visited um by extraterrestrials if you will um Maybe not in that case. Maybe, maybe you know, those were drones. I don't know. Uh, there was that story that came out 30 years later that they were, you know, flown by extraterrestrials. So to me, it's it's really not a stretch. It's like, okay, yeah, there's a possibility that there's a drone, but I think there's a better possibility that it was actually, uh, the craft was actually brought here with an occupant.
1: You wouldn't think it could possibly be something that was a test aircraft from someone. Not a chance. Okay, so the wreckage may have stayed at Wright-Patterson, but could have been sent off elsewhere. We have no idea where. Private industry, whatever. It could still be worked on today.
2: Absolutely. But, in a hundred different locations.
1: After all these years, what? After seventy five years? After seventy five years since the original event. Well Do these we what objects. do
7: we
1: know? Go ahead. No, what I'm saying is after seventy five years after the original event, do you think at this point we know stuff? Or is this something that has remained incomprehensible to people?
2: Um I think we we know a heck of a lot more because as our testing capabilities increase, our knowledge would certainly increase. You know, nowadays um, they can – for 25000 bucks you can buy a gun and point it at a piece of metal, and within a few percentage points, it will give you a full elemental analysis of what that is made out of. Um, you know, years ago, they had to run a, a lot of chemistry against those metals uh, to find out what they were – comprised of. So, uh, you know, as our testing technology has increased, uh, we certainly know a lot more about it. Now, can we manufacture what we found yet? I don't know. We don't hear a lot about that. Uh, You do hear a lot about, well, uh, you know, it's got all of these strange elements and this strange mixture, and we don't know how to make that, you know, uh, in a stable uh, configuration.
1: We have more to come with Raymond. And Gene and Tim, you're in The Paracast. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After The Paracast. After The Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to The Paracast+. Plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus
17: to learn more about Paracast Plus. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock.
19: I need a copy of my tax return. How do I get one?
20: If you don't have a copy of your original tax return, you can get a transcript of your tax return for free from the IRS. A transcript shows most line items from your return, which is usually all you need. You can order a transcript of any return filed within the past three years, including Forms 1040, 1040A, and 1040EZ. All you need to do is go to irs.gov transcript to order your transcript today.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: One thing I always think about here, even the military tends to look at things short term or a few years hence. We have something here that happened 75 years ago, but the investigation is still consistent, fits and starts, put away for a few years and picked up again. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I'm not qualified to answer that. Um, I I was never in the
1: loop. But what do you think?
2: Well, it depends on, on how much we've been able to learn about it. And You know, when these reports come in, you know, just just recently, you know, all those uh, videos that came out, and they clocked the object at 80,000 feet, and it hit the water in like 1.5 seconds, and they calculate the speed, and they say it's, you know, 35,000 miles an hour, and it doesn't put off a heat signature, for example. Well, geez, how's that being done? Is, Is that object exterior shell part of the secret? So. You know, as these new factoids come in, do the people who have those pieces of metal now go, Okay, well this is a new problem we need to work on. We know, we know what it's made out of, but you know, maybe it's energized in this fashion or that fashion. And that's that's how the, the shell isn't putting off a heat signature and isn't isn't melting, going forty thousand miles an hour. So there's, there's probably just a lot more to learn. Do we know it all about them? I have no idea. But if we don't, then it's great that we've got some of those materials and we can continue testing.
8: In your book, Alien Shades of Gray, you. Actually get out there and uh, do the footwork and uh, interview uh, quite a few people. Uh, I know you interviewed uh, Travis Walton, people involved with the uh, Rendlesham Forest case. Why don't you uh, uh, tell us about uh, some of these interviews that you uh, did for your book? And I mean, you know, anything uh, uh, revealed to you that you were like, wow, I didn't know that before.
2: There were a lot of things revealed to me that I didn't know before, but I promised not to reveal those things. Uh, (laughs) What I did reveal, what I wanted to reveal or felt comfortable, you know, I I put in the books. You know, the first book, you know, imagine I'm – inundated with uh, all these stories at RightPad and other places I go to because people want to converse about that. And I've come to the end of my career. It's 2011. I'm looking for something interesting to do. And I say to myself, you know, I've always wanted to answer this question. And I really didn't care if the answer was, yes, we have aliens and and whatnot. No, we don't. I really just wanted to study it close up for myself. I, I just wanted to answer the question for me. And I felt that the best way to go about it was to go back to the scene of the crime. And so there are four crime scenes in my first book. The first one is Exeter, New Hampshire, where in 1965, a man by the name of Norman Muscarello is walking down Kensington Road trying to get back to Exeter. And a 90-foot UFO comes out, and it hovers over this farmhouse over the Clyde Russell farmhouse. And um, he eventually uh, gets in the town and goes back out to the site with a police officer, and the object comes back over the head, and a second police officer shows up. So it's on record that the three of them are standing underneath a 90-foot UFO 100 feet over the head for 10 minutes. The rest of the town has seen it. It's written in the book. Incident at Exeter by John Fuller becomes a very famous story. So I find myself in the Boston area and I got an afternoon and I had done a lot of study. So I go to the Clyde Russell farmhouse and who do I find there? I find the son of Clyde Russell. He's 80 years old. And he takes me around the property and he shows me where the UFO was and he showed me where Norman was when he first encountered it. And he gives me names of people who also saw it but didn't go on the record because they had prominent occupations. He takes me to a couple of their houses. He lets me interview them. It's a fascinating thing. This happens in 2008, and I'm going... Holy cow, there's something to this, so I start to do my research, and as the years go on, opportunities happen. Um, I get to meet Colonel Halt I get to meet John Burroughs of uh, Rendlesham fame. I eventually get to get to know Jim Peniston, who actually wrote the endorsement for my most recent book. I got to spend the day with Travis Walton at the site of his incident. And so now I'm, I'm doing what I promised myself I would do. I would take these stories to bedrock, and I would go to the places that they happen. And I, I did go to Rendlesham uh, and spent some time there, uh, you know, going through the forest, you know, a couple days at the base and all that, and talking to the witnesses, either there or new witnesses or old witnesses, and look them in the eyes. Then I would make a decision, and it was after I had kind of gained this knowledge and realized there's something to this thing. There's a lot of smoke here. There's a a lot of fire here. That's when I thought, you know what? I'm going to put this out there because I can present this material in kind of a a lighthearted way, and that's what I wound up doing. And, and so that was my modus operandi, and I did that in my second book, and I did that in my third book. I had the people who lived the stories, and I recorded them and then put their stories out in the form of a book.
8: Yeah, and it's all just swamp gas, right?
2: It's all swamp gas.
8: <laughs> you yeah.
1: know, Dr. Hynek really, really had to live that one down. Yeah, <laughs>
8: Yeah, I don't think Jay Allen Hellenick ever uh, quite lived that one down.
2: Uh, No, he didn't. And um, I do take exception to what he did, and I explain why. And I I did that on Swamp Gas because I wanted people to understand what was going on. When I do these these talks, not like little small talks, 30, 40 people, get them in a library somewhere, and then afterwards we can go have a beer and talk about it, you'd be amazed at how many people – think that Hynek was telling the truth in his career they they don't realize they don't realize that Hynek was a paid debunker they they think oh he was this great this great researcher but they don't know what happened before 1970
8: yeah he was uh, basically employed by the Air Force to uh, find uh, reasonable or unreasonable explanations uh, to the phenomenon
2: he was, and, you know, you reap what you shall sow. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of his. Yeah, he did great things afterwards, but uh, he only did it for the bucks. And I, I think he set ufology back 20 or 30 years.
8: Well, I think, uh, you know, one of the main points from your books is that, you know, we're we're dealing with a real phenomena, and if if people just actually um, do their research, read your books, uh, you know, the, they can come to the conclusion that uh, no, it's not. It's not just swamp gas. There is something actually going on, despite what the pundits are saying.
1: Ray Shamsky is our guest this week. In fact, Ray is going to hang with us for a premium show after the Paracast for Paracast Plus members. With Tim Schwartz and Gene Steinberg, so much more to come. You're in the Paracast.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNLive.com today.
12: USA Radio News. King Charles and Prince William greeted the masses that have stood in line for hours to see the coffin of Queen Elizabeth II. Her Majesty's state funeral is set to take place on Monday. President Biden is expected to be in attendance. The Justice Department is appealing an order that bars it from using documents that were seized at former President Trump's Florida estate as expected. A Trump-appointed judge denied a similar motion on Thursday. Yeshiva University abruptly suspended all student club activities after the U.S. Supreme Court ordered the Orthodox Jewish school to recognize an LGBTQ student group. The justices on Wednesday, in a 5-4 vote, lifted a temporary hold on a court order telling the school to do so. And in Puerto Rico, they're under a hurricane warning as Fiona, which is currently a tropical storm, is heading towards the island. I'm Kenneth Burns, USA Radio News.
21: says there's no reason why we shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there.
3: You don't sit behind a desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen. And sometimes you get a little bit behind on your paperwork, you know, like bookkeeping and paying your taxes. It's easy to get behind on paying your taxes. It happens to the best of us. And you know what happens next. The big, bad IRS comes knocking on your door. And when that happens, you need to call the good old boys at the tax doctor.
7: 800-507-3137. That's
11: 800-507-3137. This is Jacques Vallée. You're listening to the podcast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: In talking to Travis Walton, and we've had him on the PowerCast, talking to John Burroughs, Colonel Halt, about Rendlesham, and we've had them on the show as well. Did you come out, Ray, with any new insights into these cases?
2: Well, prior to Jim Peniston releasing his book, there were a lot of nefarious characters actively mixing up the story obfuscating it. Uh, In fact, some of the people who were doing it that were hired to do it were some of the participants, the military guys who were on the base, who, you know, were in a position to maybe take a little extra cash. And they started their sprinkling of the stories by going at the bars uh, in that area and saying, oh, yeah, I was there. And, you know, just throwing out BS, just laying it on thick, because they were trying to just put a lot of confusion out there. And, and it worked. Until Jim Peniston published his book, that confusion was still out there. So uh, what I did is when I had a chance to talk to, to uh, Burroughs or Colonel Halt, I would ask them some very specific questions. I've had great discussions with Monroe Nevels, for example, he was in charge of safety and of course the nuclear stuff that was on the base so so i asked them very specific questions because I, I was maybe trying to run some factoids uh, that I thought were important to me to understand to be true or false, and then I could, I could make some progress in understanding uh, the validity of the case and the nuances. They would help me along uh, by maybe correcting things like, uh, you know, were you actually called out to do this? What were the exact dates? You know, a lot of that was in the balance until Jim Penniston came out with his book, those factoids are nothing that, you know, are, are in public at, at, at the time, but they probably, I mean, aren't public now. But at the time, they probably were known to a very limited audience. And uh, so to answer your question, yeah, I'm sure at the time uh, I could have scooped somebody on it, but, but I was not in a real position to, you know, tell people what was told to me uh, largely in confidence. Um, so, yeah, now with Travis – that was really interesting. You know, um, you're aware that Jennifer Stein uh, did that movie, Travis uh, Walton, right? Right. Yes. Okay, so good. Everybody's nodding their heads. So um, here I am at one of the International UFO Congresses, and I knew that at the end of that week, I was going to try to locate by myself the site of the Walton incident. And, and I had uh, talked to people. Uh, I had uh, done studies and maps, and I knew I could get within 100 yards. So I'm there and I'm at a dinner with Jennifer Stein. And I tell Jennifer what my plans are that, hey, I'm going to f- uh, find this place and, you know, any help she could give me would be greatly appreciated. So before I could blink my eye, Jennifer turns and goes, hey, Travis, come over here. <laughs> I'm like, what? What? It turns out he was at the end of the table. There was like 20 of us at at this dinner, and she calls Travis over, and the deal was is I had my professional camera with me. She said, I want you to take photographs of some of these tree stumps because they're very unusual, and I might put them in my movie. Well, it it did, in fact, happen. I took the photos when I went up there with Travis because he's the one who pointed out the stumps that I needed to photograph. And those photos made it into her movie. But the deal was, Ray, if you go shoot those photographs for me, I know somebody who's going to show you where where it happened to Travis. And so Travis is standing there and she goes, "Uh, Travis, next week, Ray's going to go to the site. I want you to go with them. It blew my mind. I'm like, this is way beyond the help that I was asking for. But man, I'm going to take it. So um, I went up there for a couple of days. Uh, Travis met me. Uh, we spent from about like two o'clock in the afternoon till about seven o'clock, um, maybe six thirty in the evening, uh, shooting photos, uh, showing me the tree stumps. And here's what he does. And I want to I want to share this with your, um, you know, your, your audience. The sun is going down. It's late February, and it's kind of like the same seasonal thing because this stuff happened in November. There's a light snow falling. There's just a a glint of sunlight, and I don't even ask him, but he starts to point, and he goes, you see that road over there? And I'm kind of like, yeah. He said, well, that was a logging road, and we were coming down that road, and he's pointing, and I'm following his finger, and he says, you know, we got to that point right there, and – We're looking up to where we're standing, and I see this light. And he's telling me the story as it happened, as I'm standing there in the fading daylight, and it's just me and Travis, and he's telling me the story. And, you know, for me, that was better than any lie detector possible. The way he told the story, the pacing, the voice, the volume, pointing everything out, you know, as it happened, running out of the truck. Um, It's kind of like, you know, a religious experience. You know, you go visit, I don't know, the Anne Frank house in in Amsterdam. There's just this feeling you come out with. And that's the way I left uh, that moment with Travis.
8: All right, so I have to, I have to ask, what uh, what was up with the stumps that you uh, had to take pictures of?
2: Well, as I observed, um, and now that I knew where the um, UFO, the flying saucer had hovered, um, there was a centroid. And um, starting at about um, 15 feet out, uh, it, think of, I don't know, like a um, spiral. Um, I spiraled out. And um there were these trees that had been cut uh, by various people, like uh, James Fox was up there and cut some trees. Uh, National Geographic was up there. Other people who had done some studies had gone up there. And I just took the photographs. He just said – Take the pictures. Take the picture. That's all I did. That's all I concerned myself with. But then I marked them on a map, you know, like your tree A1, and you're at 6 o'clock, 15 feet from this centroid. And you're A2, I'm moving clockwise, and you're 18 feet out and whatever. And I also had an aerial photograph that I could reference later. So when all was said and done, only about four or five of the trees we could chisel enough snow and ice off of them to get a real good, clear, crisp picture because a lot of them, you know, had, had sat there since 75 in the elements and had deteriorated. Um, what we were looking at were the uh, rings, the growth rings. And when I sat down and blindly plotted out the locations uh, on a aerial photograph um, of the site and then looked at the rings – the rings grew exponentially larger in the direction of where the UFO was hovering, regardless of where it was on the clock face. So if it was at 6 o'clock, meaning one side was facing you know, up towards 12 o'clock, and we plotted it, there was normal growth on, on, the, on the south end of that. Tree stump, but if you look on the north end of it, the end closest to the flying saucer where it was hovering, it's clearly evident that that tree stump something influenced a much more advanced growth rate uh, on that part of the tree. And it was consistent with five different trees, which were really the only ones that were good enough to actually have you know the rings were clear enough and they weren 't degraded and Other people have studied uh, my work I, I I did a report on it um, Jen has it it was used in a documentary recently so and it 's in jen 's movie so that 's very very, very unusual, but i didn 't know what we were looking for until after I was plotting these, and then I discussed it with Jen.
8: Any possible way of knowing how long this, uh, this
1: influence lasted on the trees? And before we have that answer, let's have a cliffhanger. Let's hang that cliff with Ray and Gene. And Tim, you're in. The paracast. Yeah.
5: Are you watching your retirement savings melt away right in front of your eyes as the economy crumbles? Well, if you have an IRA, 401k, or similar account, I need to tell you about a better way that was revealed by a Wall Street Journal best selling book. Simply put, you can opt out of the insanity and convert your existing retirement account into the most stable physical asset in history physical gold and silver. Plus, this conversion might qualify you for an IRS loophole that could save you even more. Today, Advantage Gold is giving away a completely free audiobook version of the national bestseller, Gold is a Better Way. Just text the word better to 48542 to get your copy. That's B E T T E R to 48542. By the time you drive home, this simple step may save the future value of your retirement. It's not too late if you're not prepared. You can take action now and claim a free copy. Text the word better to 48542. That's B-E-T-T-E-R to 48542. Message and data rates may apply. Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor.
20: Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the dead doctors don't lie guy. There's no reason why you shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there.
16: Amazon customer, five stars. Honestly, this stuff works. Nick, easy to take capsules. For those who can't handle the liquid drops, easy to take Extendivite capsules do the same job. Karoka Fam, works great. Like Extendivite very much. Seems to work as advertised. Thanks. Arlene, five stars. Love this product, Extendivite. Terry W, five stars can't say enough. Great product. Freya. Five stars. I just ordered another. To get your Extendivite today, go to Extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Or call us at one 928 8822 Extend your life with
11: Extendivite. This is Leslie Kane,
4: and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast.
1: Ray Shemansky and Gene Steinberg and Tim Swartz exploring Ray's various books, including the first one, Evidence of Extraterrestrial Visitation, to Wright Patterson Air Force Base, and a second book, which I'm looking at the title of now, don't tell me what it is, but I'm looking here. It is called... Victoria's secret truth gotta talk about that title, okay, and swamp gas my you know what and I could say the word one of yes those you can words. It's words in the Bible sure right <laughs> it sure is that title Victoria's secret truth are we talking about naked aliens or what
2: no Victoria is a beautiful woman, but I've never seen her naked, so um her her name is Victoria, and um She has a very interesting story. It took me a year to convince her to uh, let me investigate it because uh, she said, well, I just have all these little random snippets and whatever, and um, she hadn't been regressed at that point. So – uh, I had met her, I think, in 2012 or 13 at the International UFO Congress, just met her and her um, boyfriend at the time, the, the very first two people I ever met at any UFO Congress. We hit it off. We did a couple things, you know, just, hi, how you doing? You know, say hello. But I got to talk with her in some private conversations. And You know, my spidey sense went up because by then I'm talking to experiencers. I'm learning a lot more about it. And I said, you know, Victoria, there's something going on here. And then she wound up having four regressions. And in those regressions, she clearly discovers that uh, she's been an experiencer since she was about four or five years old. And thusly, it was her secret truth because she did not mention it to anybody. Well, her boyfriend knew, but her family didn't know, and she never spoke about it. And it literally took me an entire 12 months uh, after I interviewed her for several hours and went, look, it, I'm, I'm impartial here, but you have a great story here. And I think I think it's a story that should go out because – I believe it's going to help people like you that don't know that something's happening to them. And we can leave enough breadcrumbs where if somebody reads this book, and it has already happened, that folks that I knew personally in my personal life read my book because I wrote it and that said, you're not going to believe this. But I I think I'm an experiencer and, uh, you know, have gone off and, and, um, you know, investigated their situation a lot deeper than they ever would have had they not read the book.
8: Before her regressions – what made her think that uh, she uh, was having unusual experiences?
2: Three-fingered bruises on both arms and a, a strange sensation that she was floated through a wall, um, some those kind of conscious things. So um, she had uh, triangular, like, marks, like if you would take a branding iron, each with a dot, and they were equal-spaced. So there was a lot of um, physical things showing up in her body and uh, these um, murky recollections. So she had these murky recollections, and then she was putting it together with these physical traces then start talking to people that were experiencers and got very suspicious, then eventually uh, had a regression with Dr. Leo Sprinkle, and that was kind of the slam dunk. And then she wound up having another regression with Dr. Sprinkle, uh, one with Yvonne Smith, and then one with Barbara Lamb.
1: And when it comes to regression, one of the big fears is that The hypnotist will put things in the mind of the experiencer that may alter or add to remembrances. Have you considered that?
2: Well, that's baloney. And I haven't wasted a lot of time on it. um, Because you have to think about this. Um, Certainly there's going to be discussion prior. But you're going... Uh, your first regression is with Dr. Leo Sprinkle, who, I might add, wrote the foreword for Victoria's Secret Truth um, because he had uh, obviously insight into the case. And you can read what he read if you flip the cover over. Uh, actually, he, he wrote the foreword and the endorsement. Um, it does him no good to uh, try to influence her into saying something that he already knows is true because he's done uh, 2,000 experiencer regressions by then. And he knows that it's not going to do his client any good. So there's absolutely zero motivation for any reputable person uh, like uh, Dr. Sprinkle to do anything like that. Now, I will tell you that I had a conversation with a psychiatrist who works for the Central Intelligence Agency, and that psychiatrist tried to convince me that all of these regressions were hokey. Well, it immediately told me what side of the fence um, they were sitting on and what their agenda was in having a meeting with me. Um, so when that person told me about what you just mentioned as a possibility, um, I knew that no reputable uh, hypnotherapist would ever do that.
1: I'm not saying they would do it deliberately. I'm saying that the process may
17: result in that
2: would never there's no need to now there is there is a there is a path where they'll say look at what do you want to investigate and they'll say all right i remember being on a ship it was silver they they had me down and the guy at the end of the table was a reptilian so they've given them that information They will certainly use that information to try to go forward, and they'll say, okay, Victoria, you told me you were on a silver ship. They laid you on a table, and at the end of the table was a reptilian. Let's go from there. That's what they will do. They will not go, tell me about the greys that are sitting next to you. So throw that out the window. Throw it out. Not going to happen.
8: Yeah, Dr. Sprinkle had uh, had a, a pretty long history of, of uh, hypnotic regressions and uh, seemed to know what he was doing, unlike uh, 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 some other people who uh, may have had like a, uh, um, I don't know what you would call it, mail order, <laughs> uh, a study on how to hypnotize people. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Leo, Leo Sprinkled uh, had some uh, really interesting cases.
1: I should tell you, when we mentioned mail order courses, I took two mail order courses in hypnosis when I was maybe 19 or 20 years of age. I actually hypnotized somebody with a post-hypnotic suggestion to forget about smoking, not to smoke, to give up smoking. And that if he tried it, it would taste very bitter. And it worked for a while. And then his friends kept egging him on. Don't you want to smoke? Don't you want to smoke? And eventually he resumed his habit. But I thought I had success. And this is just some crazy guy from Brooklyn, New York, paying a couple of dollars for some mail order course.
2: Yeah, but the the people who regress Victoria are um, world class experts. And
1: no, I understand um, that. It's just the use of the word "mail order." You get someone like me, not one person like them.
2: Certainly, yeah. So uh, that was never even never even a, a consideration. I have sat through. Um, Individuals being regressed. You know, I've have seen what happens. I've been to comedy shows where they got guys clucking like chickens. So so I know what could be done, but there's not a chance that Smith, Lamb, or or uh, sprinkle led led there. In fact, in fact, I have the recordings, so I'm absolutely positive that didn't happen and can prove it.
1: Well, I just think of a post-hypnotic suggestion here that E.T. made them cluck uh, like chickens. No, I understand what the point that you're making here. Of course, we've had Kathleen Martin, who's a hypnotherapist on the show a number of times. So we do understand the point of view of just trying to get the information from somebody, not leading them in the wrong direction.
2: There's no profit. There's there's no reason that they would do that.
8: Well, what was uh, what were some of the things revealed in uh, Victoria's uh, regressions?
2: Well, the most unusual, and um, I did a site visit because again, I um, take these things all the way to bedrock. Uh, I I went to um, Colorado where Victoria lives, and, um, you know, did a visit where one of her her, uh, incidents took place and, in fact, where where something happened to her grandson. And I got to interview him at length and have him walk me through uh, what had happened. Um, One of the most interesting, intriguing, unbelievable things is that her body began to vibrate. She started to slip down foot first off her bed, Towards um, a wall, and uh, the wall had a window, and she was vibrated right through the wall onto a waiting flying saucer.
1: Okay, that's certainly a nice way of transport. Beats any other place. Anyway, we'll get more into that in our next segment with Ray, Jean, and Tim. You're in the Paragast. <laughs>
0: Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit Rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com.
22: Americans have the most colorful language in the world, and that vibrant language is our basis for thinking in big ways, new ways, efficient ways, and better ways. Americans have freedom of speech. The pairing of our colorful language and freedom of speech has made us the people and the nation that we are today. Imagine what it would be like not having the freedom to speak our minds, communicate our thoughts and ideas, and hear those from others. Americans have a passion for and yearn for the truth. There are those who want to destroy our freedom and right to hear the truth. The truth is under attack. GCN is under attack. I'm asking our fellow broadcasters and you to rise up and help us defend our right to free speech. Would you like to join us? Please consider visiting SaveGCN.com. Please help us bring you the truth 24 hours per day. I'm Vincent Finelli.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: And now, here's Jane Steinberg. Okay, Ray, we're talking here about this woman being vibrated through the wall. Does that mean she just sort of like flows into it?
2: Past through the wall. And if you get into Victoria's Secret, she actually describes it in detail. You know, most of the people, they they don't remember this, but she has this conscious memory. And when it first uh, started happening, of course, she had no idea what was going on. She thought she was dreaming. So she created an audio wave just uh, to test to see if her body was vibrating. And she went, ah, but it was coming out, ah, and so she knew that indeed there was some kind of real live vibrational thing going on with her body that she could hear in her ears. Uh, she was like, you know, in a semi-conscious state. At the time of the year, the windows would not have been open and there were screens on them, so she had to pass through something physically. She was brought on board the ship. Uh, she fully describes in her regression, how they were dressed, how they acted, what they looked like, how they treated her, uh, what the communication was between them. You know, in the course of uh, the four regressions, then she got to explore other events that had happened to her that she had had these kind of fuzzy, semi-conscious memories of. Very fascinating. And the fact that there were three different world-class hypnotherapists. I got to ask this Um, from Yvonne in person and Barbara in person because I know them but unfortunately I I never got to meet uh, in person uh, Dr. Sprinkle I asked them all this question they all got to read the manuscript before it got published so Barbara had it Yvonne had it Dr. Sprinkle of course had to have it uh, because he wrote the foreword and I asked them this question is there any chance or what are the chances that this person Victoria could fool all three of you with her events. And it was like, one person, you know, 75-25, two people, you know, ninety ten; All three of us, not a snowball's chance in hell. And I thought, well, you know, that gives me a high degree of confidence uh, in what I'm listening to on the tapes.
1: Okay, so we have a number of experiences like this. I've talked to abductees. We had Travis Walton on the show. We had this fellow, Doug, and can't give you his last name, but he was on the Paracast, and I had private conversations with him. He had worked with the late Bud Hopkins on trying to find out what happened to him. We have all these people reporting possible encounters, alien abductions. But the question I always have is, are they remembering a real physical event Or is some force out there implanting them with memories or altering the memories to fit whatever belief system they have or whatever they expect? How do we know these are real experiences that physically happen to them?
2: We do. There are folks who have documented gynecological issues showing that they're part of a hybridization program. So there's that. You have many of these have scars and scoop marks that can't be explained. They wake up regularly with uh, bruises as if they've been carried out. Uh, In one case that she uh, remembers, um, she had long three-finger bruise marks on each forearm, and and she remembers being uh, guided out of her car uh, at that incident. So there's actually physical traces um, to those who would doubt, um, you know, I, I guess I could only hope that they would be abducted and get the evidence they're looking for. For me, there's no doubt.
1: Okay, the point I was making here, which you didn't quite cover, is yes, there may be some physical effects, but the details of the experience, and we're not saying it's unreal that nothing happened to them or that they made it up, may have been to some level altered from what really happened, and I have no idea what motive they would have or anyone would have in doing that but certainly i don't see a reason why if et tells us something we should believe it or if we experience something that appears to be real whether or not we should think well maybe some of this is being altered for some reason well
2: there are things called screen memories and a lot of times people remember like uh, victoria's grandson um, he remembers large-eyed creatures and it basically is a screen memory you know he saw probably a gray with big eyes and then they said oh uh, sir you're gonna you know remember owls or deer or something like that so again these things are too consistent widely documented you know there's uh, tons of physical evidence there we just don't have a little gray in a bottle i'm afraid
1: okay i think in terms of what i'm saying and maybe it's not quite getting there and that is maybe the experience itself isn't part of screen memory. We assume you remember big eyes and owls. That's a screen memory for some possible abduction. But I think if an advanced alien race came here and was doing whatever they're doing, would they want us to remember it completely? And wouldn't the screen memory be pretty clumsy? I mean, if it's so easy to hypnotize somebody and get the facts of what happened... They're not that advanced if they really want to keep it a secret.
2: I don't think they want us to remember at all. But, you know, human nature is what it is. And maybe there's limitations into uh, the amount of control. I guess if they, they don't want your story to surface, they'll just keep you. You'll never have a chance to tell it to anybody. I'm not really trying to make anyone believe anything. It's just... You know, this was another piece of research for my, my own edification, and, and I found what I was looking for. I'm, I'm content with that and content to share the story. You know, what folks get out of it, well, I guess that's based on their belief system.
8: I think one of the interesting points about uh, your story involves her, her grandson also having an experience— I think one of the interesting points uh, that you made concerning her grandson also having an experience is that oftentimes um, they tend to run in families. That uh, not, it, It's unusual that only one person in a family would have an experience. And when you start looking into it, you can find that it's a generational thing almost.
2: You're absolutely correct. And um It was very interesting because um, I I did spend some time there and I I got to go to the location, the the bedroom where this uh, grandson was staying. And I said, well, why don't you just tell me what happened? And uh, he points to this window, which is, you know, five feet off the ground and and is the third story of the home. uh, So it's not going to be accessible by ladder, maybe helicopter. And he says uh, the mice people came in. Through that window, I said, "Oh, did they open it? Oh no, they came through the window." I said, "Well, how is that possible?" He said, "They just melted through the window, and and they came down and they they um, took me downstairs." I said, "Well, how did you get downstairs?" He said, "Well, they floated me." I said, well, show me. And it was really cute because he kind of puts his hands at his side and he hunches his shoulders up like somebody's like trying to lift them into the air. And then he walks real slow, not a normal walk, little tiny steps. And and he goes slowly like he goes to floating me down the steps. And he shows me this um, uh, coffee table that they laid him on. He tells me everything that they did to them. And it's in... Um, in a language that, you know, uh, a child of that age uh, would use, uh, those kind of references that he's used to. And, you know, uh, the grandmother was you know, hit herself away in another room. So uh, she would be of zero influence as he told me the story. And I got to ask him questions and, you know, I got to come back the next day and go through it again. And it was just super consistent and uh, nothing was added, nothing subtracted. Uh, Very, very, very convincing. It was something uh, that this uh, young person actually lived.
8: The, uh, the description that that he was providing, and and some of the things that that she was saying as well, I mean, you could almost have uh, a checklist of common abduction experiences that you know most people would not know about and in a conversation with them you, know, you just sit there and you know, and and check off all the boxes and be like yeah this fits this fits you know it's a, a, a almost universal phenomena
1: you know what we've got some more universal things to talk about with ray and jean and tim you're in
9: the a oh
11: In the 1800s, there were 160 spas set up in Europe to dispense fresh liquid whey. The sick would recover their health and the age would become rejuvenated. There's only one whey protein powder on the market that can generate and surpass the results seen in the whey spas in Europe. But first, let me tell you the story of 90-year-old Mary, who was semi-bedridden and in hospice care. Mary had been consuming only a pea protein and pasteurized milk drink. Then Mary was put on to Green Meadow Whey mixed with raw milk. She was given two to three whey drinks per day. On the very first day, Mary was up and came into the kitchen and made chicken soup she was on her feet for many hours three days later mary had gained two and a half pounds of healthy weight green meadow way is health giving to both young and old green meadow way is guaranteed to make you feel better stronger reduce your inflammation and eliminate virtually all toxins from your body without feeling sick to order go to bestwayprotein.net. that's bestwayprotein.net, or call 888-988-3325 that's 888-988-3325
23: I'm about to give you a life-changing URL that if you will simply visit it and give these tax consultants a call, it will change your life. Whether you're a blue-collar worker or whether you're a school teacher, or whether you're a scientist or whether you're a millionaire, almost no one out there is taking advantage of legal, lawful tax loopholes. Go to GCNtaxcut.com. That takes you right to American Tax Solutions, and they will give you an amazing preview of what they can do for you. GCNtaxcut.com. GCNtaxcut.com.
11: Hey, Jimmy, turn off the video games. Let's go play some ball. I'm in the
19: middle of my game. Can't we go later?
11: Come on, it'll be fun. It'll be there when you get back.
19: Okay. But there's no way you're going to win.
11: Why don't you grab some water and
3: granola bars, and then we'll see about that.
19: You can make a difference. Eat smart, play hard. And when you do, your kids will too. A challenge from USDA.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Well, certainly consistency among abduction cases is interesting. Let me give you some more left field stuff, Ray, because we're having fun with that. There are some people who relate the details of an abduction to the near-death experience, you know, like floating, for example. Have you ever heard of any of that?
2: Um, never researched it. No, I'm sorry.
1: We did a long newsletter at the Paracast site, theparacast.com, our weekly newsletter from a blogger named Miguel. He calls himself Red Pill Junkie and he went to great detail of their various resemblances let's go on please tim there are some some similarities people report during abduction
8: experiences you know going down the tunnel of light uh before they end up in a uh, brightly lit uh, room same way with uh, near-death experiences sometimes people are given messages Sometimes personal, sometimes general, like uh, kind of like the old contactee stories. You know, you gotta 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 stop uh, uh, dropping the nukes and taking care of your your environment. And uh, you know, we we see those things uh, uh, both with the abduction experiences and reports of uh, um, near death
1: experiences.
2: Yeah, just something I never delved into.
8: Mm-hmm. Well, was was Victoria given any kind of of messages uh, uh, from this being? You know why uh, why her and you know what was going on that sort of thing.
2: You know, I really don't recall her getting a message, and I do know that there's a lot of experiences like, oh hey, you know, it's the end of the world and and the environment and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I did put, you know, the key revelations that she told me, I included it all in the book. There was an instance there where she felt there was a a shimmering, shiny veil and was taken to the other side. And on the other side was all happy, all of these children, and they were grabbing her by the hand. Come on, we want to show you this environment. and. I'd ask her, "Well, do you think they, they were your children?" And she goes, "Well, I, I never was able to establish that. I didn't get that feeling. Nobody said, "Hey, these are your kids, and they're going to show you the neighborhood they lived in." So she had a lot of um, unusual experiences like that, or um, her grandson uh, once said, "Hey, grandma, you know what happened last night?" And Victoria said, "No, I don't. We were on a spaceship, and like Victoria's like, "What?" because <laughs> you know she had only had this other thing that her grandson told her about the mice people so it's now like another story and she goes oh well what happened well there were all these people and they were on these beds you know like you've heard that like there's a, a ship full of people and they're having these procedures done on them by the aliens and so victoria goes well tell me more well uh, yeah they were they were all on, laying on these beds. Well geez, w- what were we doing there? Oh we were flying the ship. <laughs> Vic- <laughs> Victoria's like, yeah well what where were we taking these people? And the grandson goes, well we must have been taking them to the hospital. Now who you know I'm just out of age the kid's 10. who's making up stuff like this right? tells his grandmother we're in a spaceship and he describes a scene that hundreds of other experiencers have described before some have talked about flying the spaceship but you know hundreds of beds and all these other humans and that was just his interpretation because he doesn't know that there's these you know hybridization procedures in some cases being performed on these people he just thinks hey we're in the cabin with the captain and a bunch of people in the bed we must be taking them to the hospital you can't make this stuff up.
8: From the mouth of babes. From the mouth of babes. So do you know, I mean, is is this continuing on with, uh, with her and her family?
2: Um, I have decided not to pursue anything that has happened from the publication of the book until now and I, I have some reasons for it so if it is i don't know and i probably won't know um i just you know i, I did the investigation for a particular purpose and i think that was achieved and um I, I think the book is good where it is and and for the purpose it was developed i i think it's it's in the right place
1: would you define that purpose
2: well i wanted to write a Kind of a an introspective personal story of uh, somebody who's come forward for the greater good. That's going to tell the story, despite maybe you know having a tough time when uh, people she does business with uh, figure out who she is and that sort of thing. Uh, but she did it because I convinced her that it would be good for others who might have been in her position didn't realize uh you know there's just something that that keeps them up at night and and it bothers them and they don't know this is going on and maybe they'll get a clue if they read this book so um i just i just feel that it was left in the right place and um whether anything good or bad comes along i i just think it's it's good it's it's perfect where we left it
1: would she come forward and do public appearances about this No. No. Is her name really Victoria?
2: It is, yes. Very well. Definitely. Um, I think uh, the situation is that um, her grandson is growing up and um, she uh, wants to protect him from you know any possible um you know blowback somebody reads the book and goes hey, you know you're the guy in the book and you believe in aliens so you know that's another reason for just leaving it right where it is because we've obscured his face and his name and everything so um yeah it's a good good place to leave it and he's a minor so we we um we have to be
8: very careful
1: in all this you're looking at the experiences and the opinions of other people and the evidence acquired by other people but does Raymond have any personal experiences as seeing a UFO or something
2: um, I do um, one I'm absolutely sure of the other one was kind of fuzzy I was coming home from a doctor's appointment I had a traffic accident and I was getting therapy once a week and I was coming back and um, driving southbound on a four-lane uh, highway, I saw something break the light that was coming through my uh, moonroof of my car. So the little, yeah, it was cold enough first week of uh, December uh, to keep the uh, window closed, but I had the shade pulled back. And, you know, we had airplanes because I lived near wright Pat. And so I thought, well, that's odd. You know, I, I, airplanes have done that before kind of breaking the light coming through but i didn't hear anything so i peeked down through the windscreen and i look up and there is this craft that i was able to determine later through measurements of the building over which it flew that was about 90 to 100 feet in in width uh, about 20 feet tall and i drew the configuration and in fact uh, put a drawing of it and the story uh in my first book
1: hey we'll get into more details of his encounter. Right now, we have Raymond, we have Jean, and we have Tim, and a lot more to talk about. You're in
7: the Paracast.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNLive.com today. Hey, trader,
4: listen up. The markets have changed. Have you changed your trading strategies? Vantage Point can help you conquer volatility. Learn to trade with artificial intelligence. Text the word money to 813-813 and discover how to predict stock market trends one to three days in advance with up to 87.4% proven accuracy. No matter which way the market moves, Vantage Point's patented AI can give you a massive edge. Text money to 813-813 to get what you need to stay ahead of markets, and find your best entries and exits. Text the word money to eight one three eight one three.
5: Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. By texting, you agree to the terms available at vantagepointsoftware.com slash terms and consent to receive calls and texts using automated technology about offers or info by or on behalf of Vantage Point. Your consent is not a condition to purchase and can be revoked at any time. Message and data rates
15: may apply.
4: Text money to 813-813.
5: MSA Radio News.
4: The special master appointed by U.S. District Judge Eileen Cannon is directing lawyers for both the Department of Justice and former President Donald Trump to appear in a New York federal courtroom on September 20th. Lawyers from both parties have been invited to submit a quote proposed agenda items for discussion.
11: The strongest
4: storm in a decade could be upon Alaska's western coast this weekend as forecasters have warned of a front bearing hurricane-force winds, massive seas, and enough rain for coastal flooding. The State Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Management has called for a heightened state of awareness because of, quote, strong storm was en route.
23: Tracy Torme, screenwriter, producer. You're listening to Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Any more significant details of this encounter, Ray?
2: Yeah, it was unusual because um, this happened in, I think, the 5th of December, 2011. And then um, I drew it, and I I actually have it, the file sitting next to me, uh, the original drawing. And I drew it, and uh, I wanted to put some notes on it about the time, the place, and everything, and I couldn't do it. The only thing I could remember was the image and how it happened, under what circumstances, me breaking the car, uh, coming towards the red light and looking through the windscreen and counting in my head how long I had it in sight. And every time I would come down to my office and and I would pull it out to to note something, I was drawing a blank, and then six months to the day – I got a call from I'd been retired uh in that September, and uh six months to the day I got a call from a former coworker and I have no idea what in that conversation triggered it, but everything came back and boom, I wrote some notes in da 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 and did it, and uh you know it was five or six years later that I finally uh, published that little story. But for the first six months, it was like um, someone had put a hood over my face and just said, nope, you're not going to write anything about this. You're not going to put any notes. Uh, You're just going to look like an idiot every time you look at this drawing. And that's what happened for six months. It was very strange.
1: Speaking of strange, have you thought of undergoing hypnotic regression yourself to see if there are a, some other details that you should remember?
2: My good friend, Yvonne Smith, has asked me that several times. And I said, there's nothing in my brain <laughs> to which, of course, she agreed Yeah, I don't have any conscious memories. Uh, The only other encounter I recall is I was a satellite watching uh, one morning and I was uh, watching a specific satellite because it was going to come on real bright. And you can find these things on it's called um, Heavens Above. There's a website for uh, satellite watchers. And um, the satellite had two objects with it bright, 50 times brighter than the satellite itself. And they were in lock step as it moved i was looking due west i was about mm, 30 40 degrees above the horizon and i was on a hilltop so i had a great view and i watched it uh, go across an arc of about 90 degrees and then i lost it behind a tree line so you know something was trailing that satellite and was 50 times brighter than the satellite. And, and that was my only other kind of, you know, strange lights in the sky story.
1: Let's go to the Michigan Swamp Gas story. Obviously we know it wasn't Swamp Gas, but this note here with the material that you're writing in your current book implies you solved the mystery. How so?
2: I did. Of course, we all knew that it wasn't Swamp Gas and I actually was writing a third book very different from what Swamp Gas is. And um, I live in a community that is rich with uh, retired uh, civilians uh, and military. Factoids come in one at a time sometimes and they're very random and if you're paying attention uh you can start to put them together and as a researcher because that's how i made my living for 40 years uh, and i pay attention uh, my wife will say i don't but i do um (laughs)
1: listen we can always bring her on and ask
7: (laughs) oh
2: yeah well next time we'll do that okay she'd love it she would love it so um i'm putting all these things together and it kind of happens like this where uh somebody says hey uh, I know you're interested in, in UFOs and stuff. And I know a guy who's got a great uh, story. Uh, you know, he was a pilot uh, for, with thousands of hours, and he has to have seen something. Plus, you know, he was a colonel, a bird colonel, one step below general, when, when he got out of the service. And he had these, you know, very responsible positions as, you know, the head of North American air defense and stuff. He's got to have some good stuff. He can tell you. So why don't you look this guy up? And so I go, okay, fine. And I'm not saying that's exactly how it happens, but, you know, in in the community, that's how it happens. So I go over there. I'm going to introduce myself. The guy's out on this lawn with his dog, and he's throwing the ball to the dog. And so I introduce myself, and I said, hey, um, I wrote these two books. And I'm interested in this stuff, and uh, I have it on, you know, a good authority that you were a pilot for many years, and you were head of, of uh, East Coast Air Defense, and you might have some story. And he goes, well, in fact, I do. And so he wanted to learn more about me. He, I got him a couple of my books, and he said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, if I want to talk to you, I'm going to read your books first. So uh, he read my books. He had my contact information, and I don't know. It's a month or so later. Um, he calls me up. He said, hey, "Come on over. Let's talk." So I go over there, and here's what I discover: Selfridge Air Force Base is in next to Mount Clemens, Michigan, and Mount Clemens is about 40 miles east of Ann Arbor, and Ann Arbor was um, the centroid of flying saucer activity in march of 1966 and fortunately for posterity um, there was a reporter for the ann arbor uh, daily news who was talking to the police officers every morning hey is there anything new on the blather and he's learning one morning on the 14th of march that every community police uh, station he talks to says we've got flying saucers and we've got you know Six guys in the force that all saw the same thing. Some of them were within 100 feet of these these craft. So he – William Tremel is the guy's name and he puts all this together and for posterity's sake, he's tracking this and he's writing these articles every day or every other day. So it becomes famous, Uh, soon to be President Ford is the House Minority Leader. He calls in Blue Book because the Air Force at Selfridge is not giving them any answers. And what he doesn't know is, is between the 14th uh, and the, the 30th of March, Selfridge had scrambled two jets, one of whom was the man that I was talking to. And after 50 some years of holding a secret, he tells me. Key and his wingman scrambled F-106s in March of 1966 out of Selfridge Air Force Base and Battle Creek Control Center vectored them to a flying saucer that they pursued and that they had on radar on their screens multiple times. And they had on their visual multiple times, both of them, both of them had visual, both of them had radar. And he described for me in over 30 hours of interviews that I did with him the magical things that this craft did. And I um, based the book on over 30 hours of interviews with him that were recorded. He totally had 100 percent control of the manuscript. Um, if he said it was like this and I had misunderstood it the first time, you know, it was like that. So we did that. I got the memoirs of his um, of his wingman to his family. And um, in some cases, I need to uh, look up some formerly classified documents to corroborate some of the information that he gave me. And I did that. And uh, those documents are identified uh, in the references section. So it's the true story of Air Force pilots finally coming forward and admitting that they intercepted a flying saucer in southeastern Michigan in March of 1966.
1: But what is solved about this? That happened at all, or is there a final solution?
2: Well, the final solution is, is that up until this book was published, everybody was like, okay, it's swamp gas. We know it's not, but what's the truth? Well, the truth is that... We have an Air Force colonel who has come forward to tell us the truth. Yes, there were flying saucers. Yes, despite all the denials, the Air Force did scramble jets to go after them. And yes, they were intercepted. We did everything but lock on them and shoot a missile.
1: Now imagine imagine yes. if they tried to shoot a missile. There was a book that someone wrote once called Shoot Him Down, which uh-huh. talks of possible efforts to fire at ufos we don't want to have what happened in the movie the day the earth stood still where gort fired at one of the <laughs> tanks if you remember that scene yeah. we've, got, we've got raymond and gene and tim you're in the Paracost.
10: thank you for listening to gcn be sure to visit GCNLive.com today
1: The Paracast.plus
19: to learn more about Paracast Plus. If you're like most Americans, you're pretty much in disbelief with what's going on in the world. As we all know, global problems are having local consequences. Too many of them. And if the peanut butter really hits the fan, are you ready? Grocery store supply chains are only as strong as their weakest link. Don't wait for them to break. Now's the time to secure emergency food for everyone in your family. My Patriot Supply is America's largest preparedness company. Our specially packaged and delicious food stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. It'll be there when you need it. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and pick up several emergency food kits. There are a dozen different sizes that average over 2,000 calories per day. Our food kits will ship quickly and discreetly to your door. Having food storage in your home beats government food lines hands down. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com today. And prepare for what's coming. MyPatriotSupply.com
3: You don't sit behind a desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen.
7: 800-932-5140. That's 800-932-5140. Did you know that you could easily be saving up to 90% on your taxes
23: by simply making a phone call? That's right. The Fortune 500, the globalists, all the big billionaires and millionaires, they know about the loopholes written into the law where most of them pay almost zero tax. In fact, many of them pay no tax. You even seen on the news. How are they able to do that, but the common person can Dot com. That's GCN Taxcut.com. The only way you miss out is not making the phone call. Make it now.
14: Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the Gold Standard of Paranormal Radio.
1: So certainly this is one of the classic sightings from the 60s. And it's so unfortunate that the hearings in Congress led by Representative Ford ended up with the Condon Committee. Oh, well, those were the days. I want to go back to right Pat here. And of course, he's going to be back with us for our after the PowerCast premium show. But I want to get started on some of these things with Raymond now and then later on, we'll pick them up. So anyway, let's get back to Wright-Patterson, because we touched on the possibility of wreckage of a real flying saucer there. But not so much the legends. Hangar 18. We've seen the movies. We've seen X Files, I think. So tell me, Raymond, in the real world, what is Hangar 18? Is there a Hangar 18?
2: Those are a couple of questions, so let me start by saying, to satisfy my own curiosity, I did some uh, in-depth research. In my former life working on the base, I befriended various historians, those who did things for Air Force Research Labs, those who did things for AD, their base wing, and others. I was able to leverage those friendships uh, to shake loose a couple of maps and Look at the buildings, maps from the 40s, like 1940, then map of 1947, et cetera, 1965. So I could see the progression of buildings, and buildings change names. So using those maps, I could identify every building on the base that ever had the number 18 associated with it. What I did is is I went around the base and I examined those buildings, Most, many of them that I could get into through these individuals who, uh, even though I was retired, I would come on the base as a guest. And, and we went into the basement of pretty much every building 18 that we could get into. You know, for the most part, you know, you're talking ancient history. And it's possible that these buildings, you know, they, they're filled with with. Uh, test gigs or whatever. So, you know, they could have been the legendary Hangar 18. So let me give you the results of my investigation. First of all, I think Hangar 18 is just something that's notional, something that people can kind of sink their teeth into, because as we talked about at the top of the show, the largest piece that anyone ever talked about, that's at least related to Roswell, was two foot by three foot long. You know, these hangars are 75 feet deep and 250 feet long, you know, you'd lose a a three-foot piece of metal in there. So to have a Hangar 18 is not a necessity uh, to believe that other things extraterrestrial went on at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Now, that said, I did do an examination of the Hangar 18s. The other thing is Wright-Patterson at one time had four areas, Area A, B, C, and D. Building numbers could be repeated. So there is a Building 18, which is not a hangar in Area A. There is a building which looks hangar-like in Area B. Okay, there's a Building 18. So you could have four simultaneous Hangar 18s. In fact, in Area B, there's Building 18A, 18B, 18C, 18D, 18E, and 18F. And there are a cluster of buildings. So now I've got like 10 building 18s to look at yes it's possible work was done in there was it probably not here's the solution your listeners have been waiting for and i'm giving you a world exclusive because this is my last radio show
1: and i'm going to ask why on after the power cast, but go ahead please
2: yes okay in area b which was active flight line In 1947, which had a flight line long enough to bring in the B-29, which supposedly brought in the Roswell crash material from Fort Worth. There's a building there that – there's an office building, a hangar, a hangar, and an office building, okay? And they are – the office buildings are Building 9 and Building 8. And the office, uh, the hangars are building one and building two. Now, if you were carrying top secret crash material from Roswell in the B 29, you would most likely have taxied it into one of those active hangars, Hangar One or Hangar Two. Now, Imagine you're coming in late at night, and these hangars and buildings that are attached to it have building numbers on it. So one day I had an epiphany. I was scouring the maps, and I turned the map around 180 degrees. And you know that the um, number one and the number eight are symmetrical so that if you turn them 180 degrees, they're still going to look like a 1 and an 8, aren't they? So I turned the map over, and I discovered that the most likely scenario was that when the pilot came in and he was looking at the building numbers, he saw the 1 and the 8 together, and he drove into the hangar. And when somebody asked him, where did you take the goods, he said Hangar 18. In fact, he was pulling into Hangar 1, and the building next to him had the number 8 on it right next to the Building 1 sign. So he sees 18, and that's where the story begins.
1: So, hangar eighteen is really hangar one.
2: Absolutely. If if we had to have a hangar eighteen, for me, I don't really care. It's not necessary for all the other facts to be true. Um, but I think if there's a way that it got started, it would have got started with the pilot coming in and his lights showing the two building numbers in proximity to each other, and he just read eighteen.
1: Sometimes rumors have such innocent explanations, don't they?
2: They sure do. And I have the map to prove it.
1: Well, okay, maybe you can send us a photo. We can stick it up on our forums. Let our listeners look. This is the real Hangar 18. Forget about what they tell you on TV. Uh,
2: I'll take that under advisement.
1: Okay. We'll go with that, of course. Now, our listeners are going to want to know here. If they want to know more about what Ray Shamski has been doing, what he's been working on, where do they find you?
2: I have a Facebook page, and I have a uh, a very old website. It's a, it's my my name, and it's a Wix site, W-I-X-S-I-T-E. But the best place to find out what I've been up to is is get the books or you know, look for you know a recent uh, radio show like this. I don't usually broadcast my stuff until I'm ready to, you know, produce a book or something like that.
1: Is there a fourth book under consideration?
2: Not currently. Um, I, I, you know, I've got that two undone books, but I'm, my curiosity is satisfied.
1: You think you know your answers at this point? Do you think the rest of us will know eventually?
2: I'm satisfied with what I know, that uh, I have other interests and, um, you know, I want to pursue those. And I, I think, um, you know, I think I've made a contribution to the understanding of what's going on there. You know, I certainly stood tall as a, as a former senior scientist for the government to come out and say the things. Now, there, it's not anti-government, but, it, you know, it does make some parts like the Blue Book guys look not so smart. Um, so I think I've done my part. And... Uh, I'm happy with it. I'm, I love the people I met and the, the places I went to. Uh, I just think it's time to do other things.
1: We have some other things to show you. You can find us on Twitter if you look for the Paracast. You can also find us on Facebook with a Paracast group and a Paracast fan club. You can also find branded merchandise for the Paracast. Different logos at the Paracast shop. The Paracast shop. We did mention that Ray will continue discussing with us various issues on, after the Paracast, our premium show. And that's available strictly to Paracast Plus subscribers. You also get this show without the network ads. Okay, all those pesky ads are gone. Just go to theparacast.plus, theparacast.plus for quick sign-up information. Sign up in five minutes and you're ready to get our new stuff. You can also get a special discount. Use the coupon code UFO20, UFO20, to get a 20% discount on lifetime or five-year subscriptions. Theparacast.plus, that's P-L-U-S, theparacast.plus. Thank you so much, Raymond Szymanski, for telling us your story on The Paracast. You're welcome.